Due to limited bandwidth at the location where this podcast was recorded, it sounds as though uh, I'm cutting off uh, David uh, with my questions and as though he's uh, a little slow to respond with his answers. Um, That's not the way the interview actually um, transpired. It's as a result of using Skype over um, limited bandwidth. So I apologize for that, uh, but please keep that in mind as you're listening to the podcast. Uh, I hope you... uh, Enjoy it all the same. Bye-bye. You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. New York Times personal technology columnist David Pogue goes on the record. I mean, it gives you all the value of radio or television, but without any of the drawbacks. There's no schedule. There's no channel. There's no, do you get HBO? You know, there's no paying. There's no commercials. I mean, I just think that both, you know, audio and video podcasts, the the sky is the limit. Every day that goes by, I'm just hoping they don't mess it up. And thanks for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, We take you beyond the soundbite through in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media as well as from time to time. uh, Discussions with influential podcasters and bloggers and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the business of media as we know it, and in turn, pop culture. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, PR guy by day, podcaster by night, and I specialize in helping organizations integrate the web into their marketing, communications, and PR initiatives. I'm also personally and professionally interested in how technology and the Internet is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume and receive information and entertainment. Uh, Today we have a one-on-one interview with David Pogue, the personal technology columnist from the New York Times. It's around 34 minutes long. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, If you subscribe to the show, uh, next up will be Rob Barrett. He is the general manager of LATimes.com and uh, they've got a lot of uh, new online um, components that they've introduced. They've got a podcast up at LATimes.com, actually a few of them. Uh, they've got a number of blogs that are going to attract, um, that are going to track award season. They're going to start with the Golden Globes and have a number of blogs uh, tracking the different award shows straight through to um, uh, the Academy Awards. Uh, s- some of the past guests that have been on the show include uh, John Markoff of the New York Times, uh, Ron Bloom, uh, CEO of Podshow.com, uh, Leo Laporte, uh, he is um, the host of the most downloaded podcast according to Apple iTunes, that's This Week in Tech, he's also a uh, terrestrial radio broadcaster. Uh, we have also spoken with uh, Chris Marlowe, the executive editor of the uh, Hollywood Reporter, where she covers uh, the convergence beat, the intersection of technology and entertainment. Um, we have spoken with, um, gosh, so many people. If you go to the blog, uh, the website is 
ontherecordpodcast.com. You can see all those uh, past episodes and obviously download any of them on demand. Uh, They are all discussions with these um, journalists about you know, how they like to be pitched, uh, typically how they decide what to cover, um, what kind of news uh, is, is interesting to them personally, the editorial process behind uh, the decision-making process for what to cover and what not to cover, um, all that sort of stuff. I also usually talk to them about whatever it is that they're an expert on. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun for me because uh, one of the most enjoying things of my job is, is getting to... Um, have these discussions with really smart people about where where we might be headed um, from a uh, from a future forward-looking standpoint. So um, that's about it. Uh, if you have suggestions for guests or comments or really any feedback at all, uh, I hope you'll post it to the blog at uh, www.ontherecordpodcast.com. Um, you can also send me uh, an audio file if you like uh, to Spinfluencer. Uh, S-P-I-N-F-L-E-U-N-C-E-R Spinfluencer at gmail.com You can send up to about 5 megabytes uh, to that account. And um, you can also call the uh, audio comments line uh, that we have set up. That number is, uh, if you're calling uh, from outside of the States, you have to hit plus 1. And then it's uh, area code 206-202. Uh, 4805. Um, So now, without further ado, I'd like to bring you the um, interview with David Pogue. As always, it comes to you totally raw and uncut, and we are going to play it for you after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Hi, David. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Now, David, tell me, how did you get into covering personal technology? Um, well, I wrote, uh, well, originally I was a, a Broadway theater musician, and I was doing, uh, conducting in orchestra pits and playing uh, synthesizer in orchestra pits, and the, um, the, the music software of the day was very expensive. Finale was $1,000 for this piece of software, and somebody suggested to me that if I would write reviews of these programs, for example, for the local user group newsletter, um, I get to keep the software free. So uh, that's sort of how it all began. I started out writing music software reviews for first the local user group newsletter and later for Macworld magazine. <clears throat> I wrote for Macworld for 13 years. And then this New York Times job came along, and um, it let me grow beyond one one device and one platform and write about How long have you been at the t- uh, New York Times for? Uh, this is my fifth anniversary. Fifth, you said? Yep. Now, when did you launch the blog, Pogs, uh, Pogs, Pogs Posts? Um, that was all part of a, a Times Digital makeover of October 2004. So the, uh, the those those postings and the, the weekly video are are about a year. A little How would you old. characterize the blog? Uh, well, 
um, it's it's really miscellaneous. It's all sorts of of uh, technologic technology related thoughts that are too short to justify a full column or email column, um, and yet worth mentioning. And I'm it doesn't have nearly as wide a readership as my print column or my email column, but it does have quite a serious following as I as I know when I, you know, make a mistake or say something else provocative that generates a lot of email. It can be anything from tiny reviews of little things that come my way that probably don't merit a full column or observations about the technological world or maybe I'll travel somewhere and see an interesting uh uh, an, an interesting application of technology. That and what is the objective of the blog? Why, why why does the New York Times have the blog? I, I, I believe it's a contractual obligation. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> no, I think, uh, I, I think it boils down to generating, for them it boils down to generating traffic to the website. Um, it's, uh, you know, all the all those technology things on the Times website are very popular, and they just wanted to make it more interesting and more attractive and give people a reason to come back. Um, for my my purposes are of course different. My my purposes, as I say, to fit in these technological thoughts that have no other form, and it's a much more casual. Does it form. change the way you uh, write a headline thinking about search engine optimization? Um, well, you, know, you think about um, some of the word plays or puns that might work in print media, and uh, you know if you're searching for uh, information online, it's useless because uh, you know the word. Oh, 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 oh I see. No, no. Uh, well, first of all, uh, New York Times writers do not write the headlines. Not even uh, on doubt, the blog. I doubt any major publication. Not even on the blog. No. Mm-hmm. So what's the, tell me about the editorial process through which a post winds up on Pokes Posts. Uh, there is <laughs> I write I write these things often two or three at a time, and uh, I send them to the to the web editor, and he posts them. And I, I CC my print column editor, um, and once or twice in the year he's he says something like. You know, we just covered this in the business section today, so it might be redundant, or you should know that this this ruling has now been rescinded, or something like that. He'll he'll catch little things, but usually it's there's not much so that m- happens to it. I don't believe it even I don't believe it even gets uh, copy edited. I think uh, <laughs> um, there are sometimes I'll make a typo and it. How much time? How much time between you know you're submitting it to the to the web editor and it winding up on Pokesposts? General. Uh, it it's it can be right now. If there's something breaking, I'll email. Who writes the headline? I'll post it right now. I see. So the web editor is not a technical position. That's a editorial staff writer. No, no, it's it's both. It's uh, it's quite technical, <clears throat> and um, because this this guy is responsible for, for example, overseeing my web video uh, from the raw QuickTime format that I turn it in in, um, and then overseeing its conversion into the formats that they presented on the web, um, 
as well as managing this massive mailing list of people who signed up for my email column and so on. So it's both and know, who is technical that? and editorial. He, yes. Who is the person? What's the person's name? Uh, well, Are you not allowed to say? I, it's, I not, it's not, it's not something on the masthead? I, I have no idea if I'm... No, I no, see. It's, it's not somebody you would have heard of. Part of a part of a team at the web at the Times Digital um, outfit, which is currently in a different building than the actual New York Times. You mentioned that the blog, blog serves a purpose by giving you an outlet for stories that may not work in print. How do you make that determination? And what's the criteria by which you decide what's going to wind up in print and what's going to wind up on the blog? Um, interesting question. I mean, it, it, it's just uh, often the news itself that I'm commenting on is no different. It's just whether or not there's things to say about it, whether or not there are deeper ramifications. So I'll give you an example. Um, it's been much talked about on the web that Sony Records now copy protects some of its music CDs. This is not new. What is new is that if you try to play one of these CDs on your computer, it installs what amounts to a virus on your copy of Windows, what amounts to spyware deep in your operating system that's very difficult to detect and eradicate. And it's designed to prevent you from making copies of that CD. Um, <clears throat> but it's re really evil. The mechanism they're using is the same one that virus and spyware writers use. So that's the news. That's it. It's four sentences. It will be a, uh, you know, a blog item right there. Except that, you know, there's more to this. I mean, this is uh, there's there's the reaction of people on the web once this became public, which, as you can imagine, has been outrage. There's my reaction, which is just how stupid a move that was. And there's Sony's reaction. They have now been caught, basically, and have agreed to make make a tool publicly available for removing that virus, and uh, you know they, they promise to change the way they do it, and so on. So the news itself, there's not much to it. It's a simple fact. But what would make it a column is the, the ramifications. Now let's say uh, for a second that you have decided that this is uh, news that won't be handled in print, but you're interested and you want to do something about it online. How do you decide what to do a video about versus what to do a, a blog post about? Uh, well, my so the videos are virtually always about the same thing that my print column is about that day. So <clears throat> in the paper, I'll review, you know, the new video iPod or whatever, and in the newspaper, it will say, for a video review of this product, see nytimes.com slash circuit, and then uh, there will be the video. So I was trying to stream, uh, well, I watched a lot of them last night, but I noticed that I was having some buffering problems on one of them. Um, I wonder if that was just me, or, I mean, have you had any feedback from the field on uh, what the response is to the, uh, I guess, the streaming ability of that service? <laughs> well, let me, let me see if I can choose my words carefully. It's a disaster. Um, I hear, believe me, I hear, I hear from... Dozens of people each week when the video goes up. People hate that it's not in QuickTime or Flash format. People hate Reel. They hate Windows Media. 
they have sync problems. Sometimes they can't watch them at all. Um, the uh, the New York Times department, whatever it is that's responsible for <clears throat> hosting these videos, was a mess, and they knew it was a mess. And so I'm happy to announce that on November 15, they have turned the entire operation over to a professional uh, video serving company, and I've already been working with them, and they're phenomenal. They're going to add the flash video format, which is far superior to what they're using now, and reachable by 99% of Mac and Windows fans. And they totally have their app together. They, I, I mean, we can use lingo like, are you guys equipped to do H.264? They're like, oh, yeah, use the new you know, iPod export codec. And it, it uses IMA audio compression. You know, they, they totally know what they're doing. So I'm pleased to announce that the end of that mishmash era is upon us, and it will now be handled extremely professionally. And uh, I'm so. I'm dare I ask who that is? Oh, the uh, feed room. Sure. It's called the feed room, and they. So now, um, yeah. tell tell me a little bit about the editorial process behind the finishing of the video. So you just uh, just you just give uh, your editor a quick time file, and then he adds the music and cuts it up. No, no, no. I, I turn in the complete finished project. Um, the Times has other writers who do videos. For example, uh, Anthony Scott, the movie critic, does one-minute movie reviews. Uh, but he works there in New York City in the building. So he goes down into the studio at the Times and just says what he wants to say into the camera, and then they dress it up with movie clips and music. Um, <clears throat> I live way up in Connecticut. I don't have that luxury of being in New York every day. So I do the entire operation myself. Um, I have a corner of my attic set up as a little set, and there's one video light and one tripod, and I stick a camcorder on the tripod. After a year, I finally bought myself a nice lavalier microphone to clip on my lapel, and uh, so the audio is now a lot better than it has been. But I do the whole thing just with a camcorder, and then I edit it in iMovie and uh, on the Macintosh, and then I have a huge collection of royalty-free music that I choose and add it. And um, I, I have to tell you, <laughs> there was, at one point I got an email from the editor-in-chief of a, a prominent computer magazine who said, we're thinking of launching our own video series, and we're wondering if you can provide details on the equipment you and your staff use there at your studio. <laughs> and, I mean, the staff is a tripod and me in a chair. See, uh, I, it's just so funny. So in reaction to that letter, I actually made one of the videos about how I make the videos. So you you got go to go to my website, davidpogue.com, and click the link that says this week's video, and that takes you to the list of all of the videos that I've done. And if you scroll down, you'll see the one about how I make these videos. And people say, I mean, I, it wasn't intended to be hilarious, but what I did is I took another camcorder and showed how I'm using the first camcorder. And it's just me talking into a tripod. It's, it's totally silly looking. But you know what? Nobody ever questioned the professionalism or the quality after all that time. So a tripod and a, and a Mac laptop running iMovie, and that's it. 
uh, but it, it sh- shows how I make these things start to finish. So, I was uh, yeah, watching I last night uh, one of the uh, videos, and you had walked up the stairs, and you took off your jacket, and you sat down. And I, I kind of could envision you maybe roping your wife or your kids into like turning the the camera on and off. No. Yeah, she was. In fact, in that I figured, exact woman, yeah. that's who was filming. Uh, my wife has to film the things that involve movement because I can't move the tripod. So I'll, I'll rope her into shooting one shot or something. And uh, as you've said, my kids make very frequent appearances in these in these videos. At one point, I was reviewing a a uh, HP inkjet printer that they were they were billing as the world's fastest photo printer. So. <laughs> I pitted the printer against my seven-year-old son in a race <laughs> to see who could draw a ship picture faster. And um, the, the HP nice. printer won by about six minutes, but uh, it was still charming. And uh, Now, you were yeah, pretty I, I harsh on podcasts in your video there. And I wonder, you know, if you've uh, you know, changed your opinion. I mean, do you still think it's pretty much just uh, podcasts about left-handed smoke sifting or... Or do you think maybe there is some sort of a, uh, uh, I guess, wider, broader, maybe even commercial application that's appropriate for podcasting? Oh, wow. Well, if it, if it came off as harsh, that, that wasn't my intention at all. In fact, the accompanying, uh, the, the article in the Times uh, was nothing but, you know, uh, extolling its virtues and pointing out that it's got, you know, all the virtues of, such fresh thought as satellite radio, but it's but it's free and it's your choice and it's your time and and the variety is just unbelievable. You're you're probably thinking of the video where I, in in desperation, not knowing how I could represent podcasts in a video, um, I wound up choosing some of the funnier, more offbeat podcasts and lip syncing them, uh, pretending that I was that character, but actually mouthing along to actual podcast clips. <clears throat> oh, those were actual podcasts? Ones, like the curly oh, my God. I thought you were making those, those up. real podcasts. Oh, my God. That's no, hysterical. No, no, no. A lot of people, a lot of people think that I was just doing those voices. Yeah, I thought that... No, those are real podcasts. There really is a, a podcast wow. called Let's Go Curling, and there really is a podcast of a guy who drives to work and narrates his commute and says there's a, a lady in a vanagon in front of me talking on her cell phone. Those were all there's, there's nobody podcasts. that does a podcast where they read the phone book, though, is there? Okay. No, 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 no. That was my spoof of, of these at the end, and you knew that was me because I was on, on camera with my own voice. But uh, you know what? I'm going to have to re-edit those because so many people misinterpreted that podcast and thought that yeah, I, I mean, the like, fidelity of the voices. sound is not well, really I guess, I, uh, dynamic enough to be able to get that it's someone else's voice. I mean, it could, it almost sounds like it could be you, you know, putting putting on a fake voice. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Well, you're you're not the first, and in fact, now when my wife or when I show those that particular one to friends, we we have to specify that I was reenacting them because I had to show something while we're listening to podcasts. You know, I had to show something on the screen. So, But those are the real audio clips from real podcasts 
and I was just putting on... And, of course, for those listeners who want to actually watch it, you go to nytimes.com, click on Technology, scroll down to the little box there on the bottom right, which says David Pogue, and then there's a video link, and you click on that, and that's where you'd get that. So now that uh, some time has passed since the uh, introduction of uh, iTunes 4.9, and we're seeing some uh, traction and growth in the podcasting community, I mean, how do you think we're ultimately going to see people use this technology, not just in the media side, but maybe uh, on the corporate side as well. I mean, what do, you th- what do you project some of the potential applications could be? I, I just think it is just so exciting because, I mean, it gives you all the value of radio or television, but without any of the drawbacks. There's no schedule. There's no channel. There's no, do you get HBO? You know, there's no paying. There's no commercials. I mean, I just think that both, you know, audio and video podcasts, the, the sky is the limit. Every day that goes by, I'm just hoping they don't mess it up. You know, I'm just hoping that somebody doesn't come along and want to monetize it or whatever. I just think it's it's so exciting as it is. Um, you know, there's a, corp- a corporate use, too, of course. Companies can... Uh, put out their TV or radio shows in this form and make it more readily available to people. I guess that's good. Um, I just hope it doesn't lose its crunchy, nutty, multi-varied, grassroots nature. What about the uh, repurposing of audio programming, radio programming specifically, whereas you may have uh, been limited to what you could listen to based on the uh, geography of the terrestrial footprint you know, where you are, you know, now I, I notice I'm listening to NPR programs that I, don't, I didn't even know about. Maybe they were available, maybe they weren't. I just wasn't by the radio at that time. I mean, do you think there is a huge uh, opportunity for radio programmers to maybe segue and maybe even abandon terrestrial broadcast in favor of this channel? Um, I, I guess it's possible. I, it doesn't strike me as something that's imminent because... Um, because why, you know, why, when, when they're only having to do it once anyway, um, what's the harm in redistributing the same finished file in another way? Um, but yeah, the NPR story is particularly successful. It's always, the, those shows are way up high on the, on the iTunes popularity list. So, uh, yeah, that's a really, really great, great breakthrough is to, to make those radio shows available later i you know i think that this apple thing about selling tv shows for two dollars is also a, a brilliant 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 breakthrough i mean no other tv or movie company has dared touch anything like reasonable and reasonably protected priced uh videos of of current tv shows it's like no 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 we should we bring our video via the television set and it's funded by commercials well why should it be you know if you can make two dollars a viewer without commercials that's a lot of dough i mean that that can be very successful too and otherwise what would happen the show would go on a tape on a shelf and no one would ever see all the creativity and work you put into it this way you charge two bucks you get money the consumers are happy because that's a reasonable price for an episode they missed last night they can watch it on their computer or on the iPod. And the, meanwhile, they're getting hooked on series they may, might not have ever seen before. 
Um, so I, I think that what ABC and Disney did was, you know, <laughs> I mean, or any normal would, person would say it was an obvious move. But in the TV and paranoid movie industries, that's considered an extremely brave, daring, bold, risky move. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled that they Do you made think it, the fact the that the other companies island. haven't, the fact that there's this, I guess, lack of critical mass at this point, represents an opportunity for grassroots producers of video content? Or do you think, you know, it's just when you, when you have to create something with an image that it's just too expensive that that the um that the the barrier to entry is is just too great for for people coming from the grassroots you know without funding no no i i i absolutely believe that this is a a window the size of texas right now that while the while the tv companies hem and haw and and let lie awake at night thinking about video pirates i mean these these oper- these outlets for video, people's portable video players, particularly the iPod, which is of course by far the most popular one. Um, th- this is the golden moment. This is the time to create a video show of your own and make it popular now. While there's a dearth of stuff to watch, um, you know, Rocket Boom and some of these other uh, Tequila Bar, whatever it's called, some of these amateur. Um, video shows, video podcasts are really becoming successful and entrenched and developing a following because they're there right now. and they're, they're So obviously there are certain things that happen in personal technology that I imagine you have to cover. I mean, Apple releases a video iPod, you got to cover it. BlackBerry releases a new uh, phone, you got to cover it. But then I also see these things you cover that are interesting that you don't have to cover, like the uh, million-dollar pixel screen and uh, the Audible story that you did recently. I guess, how do you decide... Amongst, I imagine right. you just get assaulted with a barrage of pitches from PR people on a daily basis. How do you decide what is going to make news and, and what's not? Uh, well, it's very simple. I have an elaborate formula that determines whether something is justifiable for a column, and it goes like this. Is it cool? <laughs> That's it. I just I like to write about it if it's cool and if it's new. And... Um, whether it's successful or not. Um, so, yeah, one of my favorite things is to write about some somebody who's not getting much coverage, but they have something great, or somebody who's doing an interesting experiment and not getting coverage that's not great. Um, you know, I, oh, my gosh, I, I just, I, I, I never, I'm never thinking about the effect an article is going to have on some company, but, I might hear about it weeks or months later. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I reviewed a stereo component called the Olive Symphony. It's a box that sits on top of your tape deck. <clears throat> it's, it's got a hard drive in it, like, like an iPod, so, and it's got a CD reader and burner. So basically, you shove in all your CDs and copy the songs all onto this thing's hard drive. And in fact, the company will do that for you for free if you feel like shipping your discs to them. They have a machine that does it automatically. So already you've got your 500 CDs on this box ready to play, and uh, it's also wireless. So your computer and it see each other's music collections. 
So you can play its music from your computer, and you can play your computer's music on it. And it also has, um, it tunes in a thousand internet radio stations, and it has a connection for your iPod. So you can connect your iPod, play what's on the iPod, charge the iPod, and something that's never been done before, you can load up the iPod from this thing, from those songs that you've dumped off your CD. It's the first time you've ever been able to fill an iPod without needing a computer. So anyway, so I thought this is a lot of interesting stuff all in one. I've never seen it reviewed anywhere, <clears throat> so I wrote about it. And uh, I was told that the, co- the company was just shut down for two days from the phone calls, that, that they just drowned in, in orders and people calling in. And I mean, it just it freaks me out. It's like I, it's not re- I'm not writing to make or break somebody. I'm just writing to be entertaining and self So I, I guess, you know, you know the, the this artist. whole idea of what's cool, you know, it's always so esoteric to me. Um, you know, I've, I've never actually been cool. You know, I have friends who are cool but I've never been cool. And so I guess, what what makes something cool? Oh, well, the, the, fresh, the freshness of the thinking, usually. And, um, and, and I don't mean cool as in iPod cool, like it looks cool, like it's jewelry. I mean, what's, what's cool to me? Like, you know, when someone describes it to me, if I say, ah, oh, that's cool, you know, <laughs> um, so I, I guess I don't mean cool in the, you know, haircut clothing sense. Uh, I just mean clever and fresh and elegant. I'm I'm really big into elegance and simplicity and and genius of design. I uh, am at the receiving end of, of quite a bit of hate mail for this reason. You know, I will I will praise an iMac or an iPod or a TiVo or a you know in the early days a Palm Pilot. Um, because it's just so organic and beautifully designed and with such attention to detail, but might not be the cheapest one, you know? You can't, you can't review an iPod or a Mac without getting people saying, yeah, but Dell has one for 30% less, you know, and it has an FM transmitter. Well, okay. <laughs> it's just not as good. It's not as elegant. It doesn't give you that feeling of, amazement at the amount of work that's been done ahead of your getting it to make it a beautiful experience. Um, but I'm not going to change. That's, that's still what I consider the, uh, the ultimate. And I'm, I'm happy when those things pay off, like with the iPod, when it becomes wildly popular. So in popular newsrooms exactly across the country, the, uh, the Gray Lady sets the editorial agenda. You know, editors take a look at what you guys are covering, and those stories have repercussions and trickle-down impact through trade and uh, regional media, nationally, if not worldwide. Um, So, obviously, it's seen as very influential. Who are your influencers? Uh, In terms of what are the media outlets you look to for news and information? Oh, that's interesting. You know, um, you know, well, I'll tell you, I like uh, uh, Gizmodo and Engadget. I frequently read these technology blogs for ideas about what's coming out. Um, I get a bunch of magazines, um, 
sound and vision I really like. It's a home theater magazine that uh, even I can understand. Um, and, you know, Macworld and PC World and so on. Uh, the trouble with the magazines is by the time they're out, it's it's often, you know, too late. It's often something that's been in the marketplace for a while now. <coughs> Sorry about my laryngitis, by the way. I'm still getting over it. Um, but the main source of ideas, as you suggested earlier, is these pitch letters from the companies themselves. I, I mean, it's just a torrent of stuff. And uh, what's really funny is that I, in five minutes, or you, in five minutes, could go through st- the stuff and tell them that it's not going to fly. I mean, half of these technology companies, it's amazing. They're just wasting their efforts. Um, you know, when when the Microsoft Spot Watch came out, and it's a watch that's very big because it has a radio inside it that receives um, little text messages and stock reports and sports scores. Um, and then you find out that it has to be recharged nightly. Now you're not only recharging your cell phone, you're recharging your watch nightly. And it won't work outside of your home city unless you first go to a website and sign up for the new city you're traveling to. I mean, do you think that would be a mass hit? I mean, I could have told you... So I know you want to... uh, get started on your weekend and sit down to dinner with your family. So I just want to uh, ask you one final question. Um, do, do you read Gawker? And if so, did you did you see that post yesterday? Um, do, do you read Gawker? And if Gawker uh, the Gawker blog, and if so, did you did you see their jest yesterday? <laughs> oh yeah, somebody somebody forwarded it to me. Um, what's interesting is the circuit section of the New York Times folded last May, as you may have heard, um, and they they put my column on the front page of the business section of the Times on Thursday. So there is no longer a circuit section. So the the name of my column is no longer state of the art as it used to be. The name of my column, like most New York Times columns, is just my name. So it appears in the paper as David Pogue. And when, it, when my columns are listed on the New York Times website, they put my name, a colon, and then the headline. And my review of the BlackBerry was headlined something like, Corporate Tool, Yes, But Bright and Handy. So, so online it appeared like this, David Pogue, colon, A Corporate Tool, Yes, But Bright and Handy. And uh, Gawker picked up on that and made a a uh, a witty remark. Well, I, I just wanted to make <laughs> sure you I, have uh, an opportunity to respond to this podcast. Right. Okay. Well, my response is uh, that it was incredibly clever uh, that they found it and, and pointed it out. And uh, I, I have a suspicion they're going to be more careful. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.